Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely, and with me as always is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demute. It is Monday, May 9th, and today we're going to be talking about the issues at Lending Club, and then we're going to follow it with some thoughts on a big takeover in one of my favorite worlds, the donut world. So Chris, why don't you kick it off with your thoughts on what's going on with Lending Club? Down is not the same thing as cheap. <laughs> you know, some people from a distance look at value investing and think, and it often is the case, we're looking at things that have had some cataclysm and then we're looking at the pieces. But sometimes, and more often in financial companies that require confidence, something can be down by a quarter or a third and in my mind be more expensive than it was mm-hmm. before, or at least as expensive relative to what we know the value to be. In this case, Lending Club. The CEO and founder uh, kicked out after a hodgepodge of head-scratching discoveries. And that is quotes. That is actual quotes from a newspaper article, which I just thought was great. Go ahead. Uh, $22 million in stodgy loans sold to an investor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the investor had criteria for buying loans. Uh, and uh, they didn't meet the criteria. Uh, the management knew what they were doing. This wasn't just, uh, this was operator error, but it wasn't a benign operator error. They knew what mm-hmm. they were doing. Uh, they were uh, uh, doing something that was other than they were told. Uh, and the uh, and then there's a lot of circumstantial things around it. They altered dates in an application. Um, if you ever have a formal document in front of you that you're going to sign your name to, and there's counterparties and millions of dollars, and you know the date's one thing, and you start writing to the other thing, just Stop. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it, it, I, th- I think what happens sometimes is, you know, you you start to kind of justify complexity. But, you know, each one of these things is fraud. It's serious. The scale is big. And this looks bad. Yeah. And, and I think the thing is you've done a great job of hitting the issues that there were in this uh, that the companies described. But the thing is. That's all we know. Like, we know that they came out and said, hey, we sold $23 million worth of loans that uh, the investor we sold them to said we couldn't sell them to it. And we changed the dates on some loans. Uh, and because of that, and one other thing which I'll get to, we fired management. But they didn't say anything else. And that, that wording is so strange. Like, it leaves so much to be desired. What was wrong with the loans? Why were the dates changed? How far were they changed? It's just very, very strange. Uh, the other thing that happened that got management fired is manage, uh, Lending Club was thinking about investing a stake in a fund, and management didn't disclose that they owned 2% of this fund, which again is very strange. I don't know the scale of this fund, but owning 2%, it's, it's such a small ownership. Why wouldn't you disclose it? All of this is very strange. And in my notes here, I have the stock fell 30% today to $5, but I actually wrote that at $345, and at the end of the day, down 35% at $450. But uh you know, the stock is now down 65% since IPOing for $15 per share in 2014. Uh, market cap is way down. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to go back to the point you made. Uh, just because it is way, way down since the IPO does not necessarily mean it's cheap. I've got two reasons. One of the reasons is what I like to call cockroach theory. And why don't you hop on it? Because I think you subscribe to the same theory. If you see three cockroaches, three is probably a poor estimate for how many cockroaches there are. 10,000 might, mm-hmm. uh, might be, especially when something requires 
confidence intrinsically to the business. Yeah. Uh, in this case, the uh, insiders have done a magnificent job of uh, distributing their equity to strangers uh, since that IPO. Uh, they've been selling. They've sold well. Uh, the IPO is kind of a vintage uh wealth transfer from insiders to outsiders. It wasn't clear uh, kind of the strategic rationale beyond that. And uh, and so it's, uh, you know, I always like to think when there's something that might be a fraud and you have very direct, very clear questions that should have direct, clear answers, uh, if you don't literally do this, and maybe it's a good idea to think in your head, put a, put, a, put a stopwatch on because sometimes you hear lots of words that come mm-hmm. at you and it feels like the cadence of a conversation. And you think, oh, I have the answer now. Somebody said something answery. But you should have actually been able to describe what they did afterwards, and you still are none the wiser. It, and, and modestly, you might blame yourself, but in this case, you shouldn't. It, it's the politician thing where they throw a bunch of smart-sounding words out, and you think, oh, I've got an answer. But then when you read into it, they've actually said nothing. But So that's the, the fraud. But I want to back up before we talk about IPOs and all that. The cockroach theory, right? Sure. So what we've got is we've got three issues. Change the dates on loans. You've uh, sold loans that didn't meet the criteria for selling to a third party. And you owned a stake in a fund you didn't disclose. And the thing with Lending Club is their model is very much built on trust. As an investor in their loans, I trust that Lending Club is selling me loans that they're accurately representing. Uh, As a borrower, it doesn't really matter. You're just taking money from them, so it doesn't matter. But as an investor, that trust is very important. And I think a lot of investors – and banks are big investors in these products, hedge funds. There's a lot of different – if I was an investor – and I actually do have a small personal account in some Lending Club loans – you're terrified at this point that what they're saying is, hey, here's a 15% loan with a guy with a FICO score of 700. You're terrified it's a 15% loan with a guy whose FICO score is 400 now. Or they say he's got no other debt, and you're terrified he's got tons of other debt. So I think that trust issue is huge when you see these cockroaches. Go ahead. And they're your only source. It's very explicit on the site if you are a lender that you do not have the ability to get other information about the person Mm -hmm. you're lending to. You can't contact them. You can't figure out who they are. And it's really uh, quite anonymous. These are unsecured loans. Uh, You know, while we are mostly equity guys where I have ventured into credit in the past, uh, I get my money or I get your stuff. And that's much more uh, pliable to arithmetic math value investing where you can kind of quantify your upside your downside you can make uh, your uh, uh, sense of what the probabilities are Mm. and that's all there is Uh, uh, and if you like both scenarios then you're in better shape but in this case as the downside starts to come undone it's not clear you're just you're just hoping they want to pay you back as a lender and gee as an equity holder I'm sure they would start to feel the same way well and these loans are basically what you think of them are is they're replacing people's credit card loans right they're unsecured consumer loans Mm -hmm. and the interesting thing was two or three years ago uh you were able to get some pretty when before this uh before the space had really exploded you were able to get some very attractive interest rates on on these things you know it was unsecured at 20 25 percent for prime borrowers Mm -hmm. because there wasn't a lot of demand for the loans as the demand for the loans has gone up the interest rates have gone way way down for these guys so it'll be interesting to see if the interest rates kind of have to start ticking up as uh, now that people are backing off of Lending Club and if Lending Club can kind of keep getting borrowers as they have to increase their interest rates. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to the IPO thoughts you had. You mentioned that insiders have sold a lot mm-hmm. of stocks since they IPO'd and 
You should always be... Actually, you just take it from there. Why don't you take it a little bit from um, there? I've always been weary of high-priced helpers and IPOs congratulating uh, founder uh, owners on the process of going public kind of as a rite of passage or just something to do at some <laughs> point. Uh, it is a source of capital. And if you need capital for your business to grow, it can make sense. It makes sense for certain types of businesses. Um, but boy, uh, in this case, and I think financial intermediaries generally, uh, outside minority passive investors are not great in terms of accountability. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just too complicated uh, for outside passive minority investors to really understand what they own. Uh, and sometimes if they're relying on each other uh, to be checks and balances, there are no checks or balances. Uh, and so in this case, it's unclear what the strategic rationale is to need. It looks like a rite of passage and it looks like a transfer from the more knowledgeable insiders to less knowledgeable yeah, insiders. It's kind of the perfect IPO for, for kind of, I'll call them <laughs> retail suckers almost, where yeah. lending close to the market comes to the market and they say, hey, we've got this technology-driven platform that's going to revolutionize consumer finance, right? Here's tons of stock. Buy it up at a huge premium because it's going to revolutionize finance. And they're attacking a huge market, right? Unsecured credit, a huge market for consumers. So you could put a really high multiple on it if you thought they were just going to take 1% of that market, right? Uh, but unproven business model that is kind of slowly coming undone, we're seeing. Go ahead. Right around the time that they IPO'd, I uh, put out a picture that I thought was kind of funny of a bunch of uh, the uh, insiders. It wasn't of this company, but it was right around the same time, uh, kind of uh, with a spewing champagne around. And I said, they're celebrating because... They used to own something, and now you do. Exactly. Uh, and it should be kind of a solemn thing, a, a, a solemn sense of, I hope and expect you'll do well with this. I founded something, now you own as the public. Uh, but the kind of bacchanalia around your exit is something that should feel somewhat worrisome for the people who use that same thing as an entrance. Everything got, we used to own 100% and now we only 30% plus a boatload of cash. This is the best day ever. Anyway, I think we've hit on everything here. We have no position. Uh, I, I think investing in Lending Club is a very scary proposition right now, but at the same time, it's just a scary proposition. I am glad we don't have a position one way or the other. Anything else? Nope. Okay, uh, if that's it, why don't I turn over to Krispy Kreme and I'll start talking. You jump in whenever you want to. Please. Uh, today, Krispy Kreme announced they were getting acquired for $21 per share. The main buyer is JAB Holding, who uh, we've seen called they're aspiring to be the Budweiser of coffee. And we've actually mentioned them before. On our February 11th podcast, Merger Our Basics with Green Mountain Coffee, we discussed JAB's deal to buy Green Mountain Coffee. They also own Pete's Coffee and Tea and Caribou Coffee. Uh, and JAB, in this case, they're partnering with BDT Capital Partners. And I think that's kind of interesting. BDT is Byron Trott's investment company. He used to be the vice chairman of iBanking at Goldman Sachs. Uh, Fortune did a long article on him calling him the billionaire's banker and noted he advises titans like Warren Buffett, the Walden family, the Pritzker family. Uh, Buffett has singled him out as the only banker he trusts, and that's direct quotes. And people have actually considered him a candidate to, su to succeed Warren Buffett as CEO before. Uh, so Krispy Kreme, it's been a volatile story. It was a story stock in the early 2000s. It hit as high as $50 per share, almost went bankrupt in the financial crisis. It hit a dollar per share, and that's getting back, bought out for $21 per share. It's very interesting. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, first, it seems, first, why JAB is interested in these assets, and then if there could be a potential bidding war for the company. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about why JAB is interested in these assets? 
Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh... I don't know. You, you, Andrew, you, you take that. <laughs> you want me to take it. All right. Well, JAB, they're trying to be the Budweiser of coffee, and they think there can be some synergies between mm-hmm. Krispy Kreme and uh, kind of their other stuff. You know, you can imagine them selling Pete's Coffee at Krispy Kreme, selling Krispy Kreme-branded da- uh, K-Cups through Green Mountain Coffee's Keurigs. Uh, and the Krispy Kreme is clearly in need of a turnaround. They just posted some of their worst same-store sales figures since 2009. So JAB says, hey, we're experienced in this space. We're paying a premium multiple, 19x EBITDA, but we see some synergies experienced in the space, and we think uh, we can turn it around. And JAB has also mentioned, uh, you know, we have a very long holding period. We like to do deals that uh, we hold for 10-plus years. So they obviously think this is an attractive space that they're going to hold on to the Krispy Kreme brand for a while. Uh, in terms of the turnaround, you know, Krispy Kreme only gets about 5% of their sales from coffee and beverages, and Dunkin' Donuts gets about 60% of their sales. Mm-hmm. So you can obviously see Pete's Coffee, sell Pete's Coffee through Krispy Kreme. You can see where the synergies are. Uh, Krispy Kreme's margins are very low compared to peers. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts does about 40% margins. Krispy Kreme margins are about 10%. And Krispy Kreme owns a lot of their locations. Most of their competitors are franchised. Krispy Kreme's locations are doing worse than their own franchisees, so it's a sign of both poor management and you can sell those locations for cash and have your franchisees turn them around. So I can certainly see all the uh, synergies that JAB Holdings is saying, but uh, I think a lot of people are thinking that there is the potential for an overbid to come in. And do you want to take what, why someone might be interested in an overbid and if it's likely? Um a strategic buyer could probably pay a bit more, number one, mm-hmm. especially if you look at the suboptimality of how they're running. So, you know, you start to look at kind of what multiple you pay after cost savings. There's space for a strategic buyer to overbid, number one. And number two, at this point, and uh, we'll know much more after we look at the background section of the proxy, it's not clear if there was a process run. Um, That's a great I, point. I suspect yep. there was not. And and when, and, we, and when we come down to that, that's really what's going to drive. And, and I think that's a great point because JAB, we saw in the Green Mountain deal, they went to Green Mountain and said, hey, here's a nice premium. Here's a big multiple. The only condition is you can't go shop. Mm-hmm. You have to take this deal and not shop. So I think that's a great point. <clears throat> uh, you know, I just – in terms of if there will be an overbid, I know investors are kind of hoping and praying for one. The deal's mm-hmm. for 21. The stock's trading for 21. I don't think it's happening. I think JAB is a really ideal acquirer. There's a lot of turnaround to be had here. It's questionable if there's anyone else who's a better acquirer than them. Like, is Dunkin' Donuts really interested in buying Krispy Kreme? I don't know who else would be interested. And uh, the competition for breakfast is getting tougher, so it makes the turnaround tougher. You know, Taco Bell and Wendy's are adding breakfast. Mm-hmm. McDonald's has all-day breakfast. Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Tim Hortons, they all compete fiercely, and they're all expanding. I, I just think JB is offering shareholders a nice premium. It's a good outcome for everyone. Uh, I think that's all there is to the story. I would only add that National Donut Day is Friday, June 3rd, and four weeks from uh, this week. Uh, and uh, to add a little bit of controversy, uh, I am uh, lived for a good while in North Carolina, and I do not like Krispy Kreme. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Chris, this is the most controversial thing you've said on the podcast. I, I Are you like kidding me? No, I just, I just think it's just, it's just much too kind of sugary, sickly sweet. And doesn't have any other flavor other than just sugar. That, and, and you're not supposed to. What other flavor do you and, need? And, and, and I, I couldn't walk the streets in North Carolina kind of and come out with this uh, view because it was like, it was just assumed that you love Krispy Kreme. Oh and my uh, I don't. I, I, my, my worldview is shattered right now. Uh, what are the odds? There, the only donut place in town is a Dunkin' Donuts. Mm-hmm. It's about a two minute walk from our office. 
what are the odds you're going to drag me there on free donut day? At least once. If I tell you I'm trying not to eat sugar, what are the odds you're going to make me buy a donut, uh, buy the free donut and give it to you? It's kind of like a kid getting somebody else to get cigarettes or something like that. Yeah, no, that will happen. That will happen. That will happen. Okay, so I think that's all the time we have for today. We will absolutely update you guys on Chris's quest for a free donut on June 3rd. Uh, any last thoughts or anything, Chris? I have nothing to add. Okay, great. So that's all the time for today. Uh, thanks again for listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audio Boom. Uh, if you already subscribe, rating us helps us a great deal, and we really appreciate it. Uh, disclosures, Chris, I don't have a position in any of the stocks we mentioned today. Do you have a position in anything? We had a position in Green Mountain Coffee, but we do no longer. Yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. long term. So we just spent 15 minutes talking about stocks we don't own. We're, we're basically financial news commentators at this point. Great. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys on Wednesday afternoon.